Hello everybody, welcome along to the Peter Greenwood Show at the Edinburgh Fringe. My name is Peter Greenwood and I am bringing you two brand new interviews today with performers who still have shows at the Fringe. And I am starting with Amy Paul from Baby Paradise TV. Take a listen. First, stop asking your name and what you do, please. Hi, I'm Anna Valeska Paul. And I'm the artistic director of Bambule Babies. We are a German performance collective working mostly in international collaborations. And yeah, we do work at the intersection of like performance art, physical theater, also film and also installation. And we do a lot of really like feminist work. Some people find it really provocative and yeah, it's sometimes it might not be like the easiest work to consume, but we have also a lot of people who really um, believe in what we do and that keeps us going. Yeah, that's the point of art, though, is to create emotion, create reaction from people. So you're doing something exactly. right. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I feel, too, um, with my work that, yeah, I really try to get something out of people and speak to them with my work on a very deep emotional level so that they are kind of forced to respond. Yeah. But that's sometimes, of course, can be also a painful process for like me, the performer or my group, but also for the audience. But yeah, as I said, we really believe in this mission to speak to people on a deep level. Let's talk a little bit about your show at the Fringe. It is called Baby Paradise TV. What is Baby Paradise TV? Yes, um, Baby Paradise TV is not the classical Fringe show. It's really like Fringe of the Fringe in its extreme. And it's actually a performance art based um, experimental short film about a cam girl and her Barbie dolls. And throughout this film, we see Baby Paradise um, performing for her viewers, entertaining her viewers by taking on all kinds of doll identities and by literally becoming a doll herself. And uh, this is a rather bizarre and unsettling trip into the realm of desire and oppression of human sexuality as well. And at certain points, we also change like our point of view, we become the dolls themselves because the dolls are the objects which are used and abused during this little film. And, and we see parts of the film is also shot with a special doll cam. So we really have uh, the point of view of the dolls and we change perspective and this is all narrated in non-linear ways and so it becomes yeah really something which kind of can you say this really fucks with your mind yeah where did this show come from what's its origin story um it's Bay Paradise TV is part of a larger project I've been working on for like six years now um, this is my Baby Paradise trilogy about trauma and taboo. And all these works are inspired by my former relationship with a sex worker. So it's actually really personal and deep what I'm talking about. 
and yeah it's it's just that I when I was in this relationship there was a lot of things going on that were rather like painful and I this person was also someone who was in the pro, uh, process of transgendering and so I could see how they was kind of forced to perform gender expectations and on the other hand I also saw how traumatizing sex work can be and this is my personal inspiration for this show and this entire project Baby Paradise. Um, but I also try to link it, of course, to the larger feminist discourses about like, yeah, I don't know, femininity, about gender itself, of course, also about sex work. Um, yeah, and also how especially the female body is viewed in our relationship, uh, in our society. And, and I also try to, um, yeah, I mean, other parts that inspire the show is of course also like the Me Too movement. And you will also find certain references when you watch the film because there are pictures of Trump and Weinstein lining the walls of the cam box of Baby Paradise. And so there is a lot of references I'm, I'm working on in this piece of work. It sounds like it's a really intense and personal piece of work. Was it difficult putting that much of yourself out there for the public to to watch and often criticize on? Yeah, it definitely is very difficult. I mean, as I said before, I've been working on it for six years now. And so it's, of course, like a process. And in every work I do is like I'm revealing like old layers of and the complexity of this relationship, but also of, as I said, the larger topics. And it's quite intense. It's That's also why I feel it takes so long of time to work on it because it's just so much where you have to also go deep inside yourself and really also kind of, I don't know, it, is, it takes a lot of courage, I feel. And yeah. And also like also the willingness to put yourself out there because also some people don't get the point of my works. And since it's so personal, it's of course not that I can just brush it off all the times. Sometimes it's really like, yeah, but I want to tell you something, what is really my truth. And so I'm, I'm pretty like vulnerable in the work I do. When it came to putting the show together for The Fringe, was it always planned to do a video version or were, were you planning to do it live? Um, I, we had a live show at The Fringe in 2018, which is Baby Paradise. So this is like the first part of this trilogy. And in, um, and in this show, Baby Paradise really interacts as a prostitute with her customers. So you come in the show and um, she will just interact with you and offer you dolls and you will see what she what kind of services uh, she does. And it's a very immersive and interactive show. Um, so it was not planned to turn it into a film originally, but I felt um, at some point that the images I created, I wanted to be more intimate, more deep with them. And that's why I said, okay, let's turn her into a chem girl and let's see what happens then when we can see the close-ups, when we see, can see 
the doll's um, perspective as well. And when we can also tell other stories. So even people who already watch both, um, like the live show and the film, they found it's very different approaches to the same project, but also the same character, but it's still a very different way to think about this. When you get to put together part three, do you think theatres, well, do you think people will have to have seen the first and second parts to get the third part? Is is it all interconnected in um, a, in a intense way for the audience? Interconnected, I feel. It's very loosely. It's not that you need to have the knowledge of part one and part two, because also my work is very experimental and can be accessed more via the emotion uh, than with like a classical storyline. But also the third part, we have already nearly produced. It's right now in post-production. It's a film, it's called Sister Games. And this is a narrative short film about two prostitutes living and working in a trailer. So this takes on another dimension because right now it was like we just saw Baby Paradise and now in the next part, we will also be introduced to a new character who is called Jerry and she is someone who is just lost in this kind of world of doll prostitution and which is so much focused around like male authority and male gaze. And so I think this will offer for the viewers something another way to to enter this world and also with another character to experience what it means to be in this um, realm of power and control. Have When you were putting the story together, you said you worked on it six years, which is a long time to work on something. Yeah. Did you ever get many... What am I trying to ask here? Did you ever get many men saying, I wouldn't do it this way and try to come in and take control of it? And what was that process like? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, because especially in the live show, their baby paradise acts for like the male audience a lot. So she acts for like what she calls the daddies. Of course, it's like this prototype of a white male um, like a big daddy is like Trump or Weinstein mm -hmm. for her. And um, so some of the male audience were trying, and this happened like sometimes indeed, to take over the show. Because in the live show, she is also playing like um, games with the audience and you can really interact and she can be used as a doll. And so... Um, some of the male guys were just really kind of objectifying her during the show. And so, yeah, it, it, it speaks on a deep level. Some other men also told me uh, that by seeing my show and my work in general, they will start to rethink um, about their relationship to women. And I feel this is something really what I like to achieve that yeah. people really think on a deeper level, also why things are perceived in a certain way. And yeah, so we have like both of the extreme. Some also felt very entertained in a very bad way by Baby Paradise. And they saw this like, she might be a real prostitute and they can just use her. Um, but some, as I said, um, 
we're really going into this process of reflection. When it comes to putting, when the virus is, is gone away and more shows can open up again, will you do this second part as live theatre? Will you take it on tour? Um, no, the second part is not going to be a live theatre because it's really about like chem girl and also this cyberspace interaction and also in the way of cinematography and also the use of sound. Um, I feel it's rather cinematic and I hope actually to bring this to more to film festivals in the future. But the first part, of course, when it's possible again, we would definitely love to uh, perform the live show again. Do you miss audiences? Did you miss audiences when you were putting part two together, when you were filming it? Was there a point when you thought, oh, this would be good to get an audience reaction here? Mm, yeah, since I approach it as a film, I don't feel so much the need for audience, like in the process of creation, at least for the second part. Um, but what I definitely miss right now is like having the reaction of the audience, because this digital fringe run has its very own logic. And um, it's really a pity that I cannot see how people react to it because they they watch it in their own homes and then you get sometimes you get a feedback but often you just don't know what people felt about it and so I really miss this connection to the audience and the reception of my work definitely. Where can people find out more about you and about the show online? Um, yeah of course listing on Fringe, <laughs> on the Fringe website, of course, or also via C venues. That's where you can book uh, tickets. And there you will you also find all the links to our website, which is bambulebabies.de. It's a German website. And you'll find us, of course, also on social media. You can, for example, find my Instagram, Anna Valeska Paul. Uh, that's where I'm posting uh, most of the stuff. And even Baby Paradise has an Instagram herself. Yes, uh, I saw her Instagram. Done from the perspective of the character, which is a rather funny thing probably to access. And this Instagram you will find um, where uh, it's a the, uh, the baby parrot, the underline baby underline paradise. I think that's right. But I think it's also linked via the French website. It must be fun to have this artistic outlet, like you've got your Twitter accounts, but mm. then you've also got Baby Paradise's Twitter account that must, uh, and Instagram account. That must be fun to be able to get into the character and do things that way. Yeah, exactly. I also try to offer like new experiences and it's also like Baby mostly talking about her dolls and uh, sharing pictures of her dolls or even yeah the way she approaches even the show is not I have a show she always says uh, like book tickets to my web channel and things like that so I really try to be to create an own fictional world um, at this Instagram account that sounds fantastic thank you so much for your time today it was really great to speak to you yeah, it was. I thank you so much too. It was a beautiful interview. You can watch Baby Paradise TV anytime you would like on demand from the 6th of August online at the Sea Arts Sea Digital Portal. Could I stop asking your name and what you do, please? My name is Eric Abbott, and I am a playwright, actor, director, and 
artistic director of a tiny professional English language theater company in Luxembourg called Actors Repertory Theater Luxembourg. How are you today, Eric? Are you well? I'm doing very well. Yes, thank you. And yourself? I'm I'm very well. It was grey and murky and awful this morning, but the sun appears to have come out, which is mm. which is all you can hope for in summer in Scotland. Definitely cloudy in Scotland. I can't imagine. I know such a strange time. <laughs> I I I blame COVID. Yeah, <laughs> I blame I blame COVID for anything. Anyway, let's talk about your show at the Fringe. It is called. I'm going to try to pronounce this. Vignettes okay. of a pestilence. Exactly. Yes. Oh, fantastic. See, I wasn't sure whether to put any accent on it, like vignette or anything like that. But yeah. vignettes of a pestilence. Tell us a little bit about your show. Where, where did it come from? It's um, it's an original piece. It's actually it's three stories, um, each based at a different time period during the pandemic. So the first one takes place in April of or in the spring of 2020 and the second one in the autumn and the third one in the spring of 2021. And it's three different pairings, uh, a husband and wife in the first one who are separated um, by grounded flights and he's in another country. And so they communicate through phone calls and video chats. And then the second one are two cousins who are lifelong best friends from a very eccentric family. And the third one is two coworkers who have never met who are the only ones who show up for a scheduled video conference. That sounds like the entire the entire pandemic, like a lot of video calls, <laughs> a lot of missed calls, a lot of missed texts, a lot of, oh, hey, I just tried to get hold of you, but I don't like FaceTime or my internet was sketchy. How much did you want to, of that thing, did you want to put it into the show? Um, we What we tried to do, because uh, they were written for the idea that they could be done on stage or online. Um, and had the pandemic cleared up earlier, um, we might have produced them as live pieces instead um, and still want to do that. Um, so we were more interested in creating something that was within the context of that world. So the conversations and the drama and the humor and the relationships that are sort of mediated by screen, even though ideally, well, ideally, although it would be possible to have them on stage and see the, the relationships there without it actually being through the screens but in this case we do them through the screens and was were you conscious about how the pandemic was going on when you were writing this story and how much to include um, to some extent um in some ways the first one was a little easier um it involved characters that actually exist in a in an earlier show of mine um, from three or four years ago. Um, it's also the lightest of the piece of the pieces for the most part and, uh, and probably um, probably structurally the, sim the simplest, even though it has multiple scenes instead of just one. Um, what I try to do is develop, and I tend as a writer to start from characters um, and I come up with characters that I like and then sort of figure out where they are and what they're doing. Um, so the, the storylines developed more from, from the, the characters and what these two people would be doing now and how they were coping with uh, not being able to be directly in touch. And there's not, um, in, the, in the first one and the third one, there's more discussion of the actual pandemic. And the, the middle one is much more sort of the result of that, 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 that one character is isolated and rather likes that because she talks to the dead and so she has company. And, uh, and the other one has her entire family with her so the exact opposite situation, and that's driving her nuts. 
So it's it's more the the situation. I didn't get it much into the nitty gritty. A bit in the third because they disagree about some things, <laughs> but disagreement during the pandemic that doesn't sound like the humanity that i know of i know i know i know it's uh yeah i don't want to give away too much of it but um uh, let's just say one is more skeptical about some things than the other i understand fully yeah i'd like to ask a little bit about putting it together during the pandemic because things change so quickly on a hourly basis were you conscious of that when you were writing it and have you updated it as you as news has changed yes to the first half of that and a little bit um they were written um the first one i think the first draft was sort of towards the end of the year last year um and the second two were both written um, initially in the spring, and then the the third one got probably the, the greatest rewrite because I it was I, I had absorbed more for what was actually happening, um, so it was sort of rewritten going into the summer, but we recorded them in late June, early July, and um, I I approached it more because I didn't want them actually to be sort of living newspapers or um, you know or docudrama. Um, so I, I tried to think more in terms of is are, are the are the characters consistent? Is there a you know are they believable? Is there a coherent thread here? Um, and less about the exact nitty gritty. There's certainly signposts for the time in each one as to what's going on. But when you were putting the show together, was the idea always to put it on at the Edinburgh Fringe? And what's going to happen to the play after the Fringe? Um, well, we have one showing in Luxembourg coming up this week. There's a there's a local theater in one of the um, small towns. Uh, well, not that small, not small by Luxembourg standards. Um, they're doing a festival of, of some of a couple of live events and some some screening events, and so they're screening it there. Um, we are hoping eventually to produce it on stage. We looked for opportunities where um, we could present it now once we decided to go forward. So it actually had a run online at the Minnesota Fringe, almost exactly concurrent, although that was a, a shorter run. Um, I think they officially opened a day earlier. Um, and Edinburgh, we had tried to bring a, a live piece to Edinburgh in 2019 and the funding fell through, so we didn't get there. Um, so that's been that's been high on our list <laughs> for for some time, and this seemed like a, a good opportunity for it. Um, uh, so yeah, it was, and we looked into some other possibilities, and and if there's another you know virtual festival that looks like a good fit uh, somewhere you know in the next few months, we will certainly look into that. Um, but the ultimate goal is to have it produced on stage as well, and. Um, We'll probably we may do another event here in Luxembourg and screen it. We're not real sure yet. I imagine during that time in in 2019, when the funding fell through, you were like, "We'll just do it next year. We'll look into 2020." And then 2020 happened. We did. We actually shifted gears. It was a very it was a a, a solo piece about five uh, supporters of Donald Trump, and um, that was originally set in 2017 after the election or after his inauguration. Um, and actually the idea that developed then was that we were gonna look into building a second, creating a second half of it with the same characters a few, you know, four years later. 
Um, and that's still sort of in development, but then, you know, the one chance we thought we might have to produce it as a, as a full piece fell through last year for obvious reasons. And we haven't, haven't really looked back too much at it. Where can people find out more about you and about the show online? Uh, on the Edinburgh Fringe website, of course. Um, if you go into the shows list, you type in VIG, that will have our show come up. We appear to be the only show that starts with VIG, so you don't have to type the full title. Um, there's also a bit on our website, which is actorsrep, all one word, dot L-U. And just think about how rarely you go to a website that's dot L-U. I was just um, thinking that, because I, I was thinking yeah. of like there's dot, dot UK, dot Scott, but I've never heard of dot L-U. That's a, yes. that's a fantastic we, we, one. We were quite insistent when we started the company that we really wanted the .lu address. It's like, we're, now, we're, we're in Luxembourg. We want to, we want to, to, to wave that flag proudly. Um, and there's a lot on our Facebook page, um, Actors Repertory Theatre Luxembourg. Um, I've been trying, I, I'm new to Twitter, but I've been trying to flood information there as well. Um, the, the most current is generally on our, on our Facebook page. Um, so, which is just, Actors Repertory Theatre Luxembourg. Nice and short. Uh, thank you so much for your time today, Eric. It was great to chat thank to you. Thank you, Peter. It was great to chat to you. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of the Fringe. Thank you, sir. Vignettes of a Pestilence is playing online at The Space UK and it is available to watch on demand any single time you like.